We're going to turn to God's word now. The reading today is from Galatians chapter 3, reading verses 1 to 14. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is God's word. Uh, well, after a few weeks then, uh, we return to uh, this book of Galatians, uh, Paul's letter to uh, believers in the first century who are in danger of moving on from the gospel. So the, the main problem here in the, in the region of uh, Galatia, southern Turkey, is uh, there are some false teachers, and they've come along with this idea, you, you became Christians by faith. Good. Well done. Now, if you want to move on, if you want to progress, if you want to move to maturity, you've got to work at that. There are certain laws you need to uh, obey in particular, but um, it's down to you now to, make, to, uh, to grow to maturity. To which Paul's response throughout the whole letter, we've seen already and he'll continue in this vein, is no. Faith in Jesus Christ, that's not the, the basics of Christian living. That is all of Christian living. The Christian life is, from first to last, by faith in Jesus Christ. In essence, the Christian life is, stop looking at yourself, stop looking at your own performance, and look to Jesus Christ. Look at what he has done, and look at the promises that he makes to you. Don't look at you, look at him. I was very pleased this morning. Uh, as we drove here in the car, uh, my son was playing in the back with a sheet of stickers. What are they? Let me look at them. And uh, there are a load of stickers saying God's promise. There's all of them in different ways, God's promise. So I've got one on me now, God's promise, because that's what it's about. It's about God's promise to us, not our own performance. Or uh, put it this way, this is a silly example. But you, uh, for some reason, you take a ferry to Scandinavia. 
you may be from there originally or looking up your relatives, that you take a ferry to Scandinavia. And uh, for some reason, an engine blows up, the ferry goes down, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a disaster. But uh, a boat comes along and rescues you. Hurrah! And you're in the rescue boat and off you go. And you're chugging away. It's got a little motor. You're chugging away to land. And uh, you've gone a, quite a long way. And you say to the man uh, driving the boat, thank you very much. Were it not for you, I would have died. But I'll take it from here now. And uh, you bizarrely have a tub of lard with you, which you rub all over your body and jump in the sea and swim. That's what they do. They cover themselves with fat, isn't it? Goose fat, that's not just a bizarre thing. Um, it's to keep you warm. Hey, thank you very much. I would have died without you, but now I'll take it from, I'll take it from here. How far is it to, uh, to, to Sweden? Oh, you know, about a thousand miles. Fine, it's no problem. I'll swim that and uh, I'll go that way, whatever it is. Probably not that far. Um, don't do that. That would be crazy. Stay, stay with the rescuer. Don't say, thank you, you've got me thus far, and now I'll take it on my own. Don't, don't do that. Stick with him. Stick with faith in Jesus Christ. Now, at chapters 1 and 2, uh, which is where we got to, Paul was largely defending his own authority against the false teachers. Uh, chapter 3 onwards, he, he gets into the meat of the theology in some depth. And he gets very blunt at this point. So chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, you foolish Galatians. Or uh, you could equally translate it. It's a sort of affectionate rebuke. So he essentially says, my dear idiots, what are you doing? Dear idiots, what are you doing? And yet, no one likes to be called that, of course. And yet, Paul could say that to us in some sense. Because it is the, the natural drift of the human heart is to veer away from faith in Jesus Christ, and just to lean functionally day by day on our own performance. Not his promises, but our own performance. How have we done today? Do I feel righteous today? Am I, am I worthy of God today? That is the natural leaning of our hearts. And so Paul could say, listen, idiots, dear idiots, to me as well, not all of us, dear idiots, what are you doing? It's faith in Jesus Christ. From first to last. And so uh, the, the issue of, of today is the issue of the book. So chapter 3, verse 3, I've said before, I think is a good summary of the whole letter. Uh, and it's certainly the central issue that we're looking at today. But chapter 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? See what you're saying? You've yes. What are, you, what are you talking about? It's not that you begin one way, by faith in Jesus Christ, that way you receive the Spirit, and then you continue in another way, your own effort. Don't be so foolish. That's just stupid. So two choices. These are the paths. These are the two paths he describes for us today. You either live the Christian life by faith in Jesus Christ, or by relying on law, law observance. Those are your choices. One is faith in Jesus Christ is the way of, uh, of healthy Christian living and blessing. The other is law observance is misery and actually ultimately curse, to be cursed by God. So, okay, that's the way we want to go. Yeah, I think so. Okay, let's work through it. Uh, essentially, it goes like this. He gives the choice uh, in verses 1 to 5. And then he gives the positive example and then the negative. That's how it works. So first of all, then... Uh, 
and I really want to walk through the text fairly quickly and then get to where the rubber hits the road. So let's, uh, let's go to it. First of all, then, verses 1 to 5 essentially says, look, you began by the hearing of faith, not law observance. That's a bit technical, but we'll get to it. You began by faith, not observing the law. So uh, chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, that's not true, actually. Um, So what's he talking about? Jesus Christ crucified in Jerusalem, not in Galatia. So what exactly is he talking about? The answer is he's describing what happened when they heard the gospel. Verse 2. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or believing what you heard? Essentially, he says, when you heard the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, it was so vivid to you, so alive, that it was as if you were, as if you were seeing it in front of your very eyes. It made such an impact upon you that even though you were just hearing it, you could see it. It affected you deeply. You didn't just hear and think, oh, that's interesting. It transformed you. Got to your heart, is his point. Now, this little phrase, I hate doing this, but this little phrase, end of verse 2, believing what you heard, you get it again at the end of verse 5, you believe what you heard. It's a little weak. It's literally, uh, end of verse 2, Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by the hearing of faith? Let me explain why I think that matters. Why there there is a difference there and why I think it matters. Try and be brief. There are lots of things which we believe and they make no difference to us at all. So uh, uh, um, we may believe that smoking is bad for us. It's not very good for our health, but lots of people still do it. We may believe that going into debt, bad debt, is unhealthy and unwise, but lots of people do it. You might believe that overeating is not the most healthy way to be, but most of us overdo it. You know, there there are various things that we believe that they don't affect us. And that is not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the hearing of faith, which is a transforming belief. It changes us. So this doesn't quite work. But the smoker hears that you know, their habit of 60 a day is uh, going to seriously damage their health. They hear that. It changes them. They live differently. They quit the next day. Or uh, uh, the person goes into debt. They hear how stupid it is. Gosh, look at how much I'm paying in interest on top of what I owe. This is crazy way of living. That what they hear, it changes them. And so they live differently. The, the person who overeats, you and me maybe, but they, they, they realize, gosh, I, look, I don't fit into anything that I used to own anymore. Uh, that realization, it changes them and they live differently. They stop overeating. The gospel is a belief that changes. It's not just, oh, you believe it. You know, I, you know, I believe lots of things. I believe smoking's bad. I believe overeating's bad. I believe lots of things. It's not that. This is hearing with faith. You hear what someone tells you, the gospel message, it changes you. You have a faith which is transforming. It's very different. 
Okay, so that's what Paul is talking about here. Essentially, we hear the gospel message. We hear with faith, that is, we believe in it. It transforms us, and then God comes and dwells in us by his spirit. Justification by faith, indwelling of God's spirit, those two things are synonymous, that's um, simultaneous. They happen at the same time. Get to that in more detail in chapter 5. But it is by faith that that happens. Now, okay, that's all background. Essentially, Paul is asking, verse 3, how did you begin the Christian life? Was it by keeping certain laws or was it by hearing with faith? Was it that someone gave, you heard the gospel, you thought, oh my goodness, that's, that's absolutely revolutionary. And then you were justified. Of course, it was that. It was faith that you, by faith, that you began the Christian life. So don't, why would you change? Why would you do different? Why would you, verse 3, try to attain your goal by human effort now? Verse 4, look, you've suffered better, experienced so much. And even now, verse 5, look at your experience now. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you now because you observe the law or because of the hearing of faith? It's faith. That's why God is at work amongst you now, as well as what he did in the past. But, essential point, you began the Christian life by... Hearing with faith, not by keeping certain laws, rules, not your own performance. Okay. Then we get a positive example, Abraham. So look at Abraham, for example. Abraham, he received righteousness by faith. Abraham, a great historical example. One of the best examples he could choose for those who were his opponents. He was justified by faith. So uh, verse 6, consider Abraham, what happened to him? He believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. So three stages to this. God gives a promise. Abraham believes it. He is given something which he does not have. He's credited with righteousness. Or put it this way, get a little example like this. Someone uh, wanders in after church and says, I've got a promise for you. Oh, yes. I will give you £10 million. Stage one, promise. Stage two, ooh, um, is that because I'm worth it? Uh, is that because you've, you've realised what a wonderful singing voice, brilliant sporting prowess, ingenious mind I have? Is that, are you giving me that because of my... Uh, you finally realise what no one else has. That I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty talented. Uh, no. No, I'm just making a promise because I'm kind. Oh, okay. Um, well, I believe you, stage two. Stage three, okay, then I put a million, was it 10 million pounds in your bank account. It's credited to you. Do you see how it works? There's a promise. All Abraham, or, all Abraham did was believe it, and he's given something which he does not, should not have. In his case, uh, how does it work? Well, back in Genesis 15, God makes a promise to Abraham. Abraham, count the stars. Your descendants will be like the stars. That's the promise. Abraham believes it. Now, that's pretty unlikely at the time. He's nearly 100. His wife is nearly 90. You're going to have so many descendants, they're like the stars. Do you remember what they both did? They laughed, actually. They both laughed at God. You must be joking. Uh, really? Look at me. Look at her. Listen, my sex life is not what it used to be. I'm 100. She's 90. Come on. You know, we're going to have that many descendants. You're joking, aren't you? No, Abraham, I'm serious. Oh, okay. I believe your promise. Promise? 
Abraham, all he does is believe it. And God credits him with righteousness. He's not done anything. He says, okay, you, you receive the promise, you receive the blessing. And Paul is saying that it is precisely the same now. God makes a promise in his gospel, believe in the work of Jesus Christ and you can be saved. The response is, okay, I'll believe that. I trust that. And the response is, you are credited with Christ's righteousness. The money is deposited in your account. Have you earned it? No. Do you deserve it? No. What have you done to get it? Just believe a promise. That's it. That's it. That's all I've done. It's my faith. So verse 7, do you see, the emphasis is, um, uh, understand that uh, those who believe are children of Abraham. If you believe God's promise, you're an heir of Abraham. You're just like him. God promised justification to Abraham, verse 8. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. The verbs to justify, to bless, they're parallels. And so, verse 9, Abraham is a model for us. He trusted God's promises. That's what he did. So that's Christian living. Don't look at your performance. Look to the promises of God in Jesus Christ. It's what Abraham did, and he was justified. Do the same. Then the negative comes um, in uh, verses 10 to, 10 to 14. Okay, let's, uh, let's try and go through this fairly quickly. 10 to 14. Relying on law observance, well, that brings curse. So you see what he's done, verses 1 to 5, you've got a choice. You either uh, hear with faith or you rely on the law. Uh, verses 6 to 9, Abraham, he heard with faith. Uh, verses 10 to 14, don't rely on obeying the law. That's how it works. So um, uh, Paul then puts his case negatively here. And the two paths become very obvious. Faith, blessing, law reliance, curse. Uh, verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. Now the issue is here, relying. Again, it's what do you, what do you put your weight on? What do you trust in? There's nothing wrong with observing laws. There's lots of laws in the Christian life that are, that are useful. But do you rely on them? Do you trust in them to save you and to grow you? Where do you put your reliance, your trust? So if we go back to our, our foolish ferry that crashed. Look, there's nothing wrong with swimming in the sea. Swimming in the sea is a good thing. It, you, you do it, it's invigorating, you, you feel sort of one with nature, that sort of thing. It's far more satisfying than just paddling up and down in a pool. Swimming in the sea is a good thing. It's a good thing to do. If you've never tried it, try it. You know, most of us have tried that at some point in our lives. Enjoy. But if you're in the middle of the North, the North Sea, hundreds of miles from land, don't rely on swimming to get you home. That's the wrong place for swimming. Enjoy swimming. Enjoy it in a swimming pool, enjoy it in the sea. That's, that's very good. But don't think it's going to save you when you're hundreds of miles from home. That's crazy. Don't rely on it. And that's Paul's point here. There's nothing wrong with uh, following laws. God has given lots of good laws to follow. But don't rely on them to save you, to perfect you. Now rely upon God to do that. And enjoy keeping them. Yeah, that's a good thing to do. But don't rely on law observance. 
So Paul's quote uh, in uh, verse 10 is from Deuteronomy uh, 27, saying, look, the, the law, you're cursed if you fail one bit of it. You have to do everything written in the law. If you think you're going to be saved that way, the law is like a, like a sheet of glass. You crack it, it's gone. It's no good saying that's my one mistake. That's it. If two men, uh, this part of the, in this part of London is an expensive part of London, isn't it? So um, two men are carrying up um, along Piccadilly an enormous pane of glass, you know, sort of 10 metres by 5 metres. They're probably more than two men, isn't it? Four men are carrying this enormous pane of glass, and you're not really, you know, you're not really paying attention at all, you know, la, 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 on the phone. And uh, you walk into this pane of glass, and it smashes. And they're furious with you. Do you know how much that pane of glass was worth? It was going to the window of, of uh, the Ritz. I was sort of like, shh, I've made one mistake. Cut me some slack, one mistake. Look, your one mistake has ruined everything. It smashed the glass. That's the law, says Paul. You break it at one point. That's it. If you think, I think my own performance is going to put me right with God and keep me right with God, relying on that, make one mistake, it's it, it's gone. Don't do that, he says. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. A cursed language is not language we like. Let's be honest, it sort of feels slightly medieval or, or outdated. Paul here is just, he's just picking up on what God says in Deuteronomy. Let me read you just a couple of verses on from, uh, from uh, where he quotes, where God gives the curse of the law, or, or a little part of it. Uh, it says, chapter 28, verse 20, The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you're destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you've done in forsaking him. The Lord will plague you with diseases until he's destroyed you from the land you're entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. God's curse is it's a real thing, and it is awful. It's it's described here, it's, it's a metaphor, but excruciating pain, which ends in separation, is, is the picture of Deuteronomy. See, look, if, if you think, if you're trusting in your own performance to put you right with God, that, that'll only lead down the path of curse. That's where it leads. Now, we don't like that. And the reason is we, we underestimate God's holiness. We overestimate our, our own worth. Poor example, poor example. Uh, years ago, years ago when I was a student, I worked on a, a, a kid's summer camp uh, for a number of weeks. And I was what they called a general counselor. And uh, one of the, uh, there's a professional tennis coach. And I watched him coaching some of these uh, teenagers and thought, I don't think you're that good, actually. And I was playing tennis every day at the time, and I thought I was pretty good. And uh, so I said, you know, I happened to, I got on quite well with this guy. But um, 
I thought it was fine to mention to him, I don't think you're very good, I think I could probably beat you. Unsurprisingly, he was mildly offended by that uh, and said, OK, do you, want, do you want a game? Yeah. Yeah, come on then, let's have a game. He said, uh, do, you, do you want a little, a little wager? Not for money, but um, loser buys dinner. Uh, uh, yeah, fine. For all of us sat around this dinner table. There are eight of us. For all of us, dinner for... Uh, huh, um, yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah, I thought. And uh, so I thought I'd, I'd play this guy. And I, no, he wasn't that good. I'd, I'd watched him for uh, a couple of weeks playing. Of course we play. And he's just he's miles better than me. He's just been playing well within himself. He's just been coaching teenagers. He was top 20 in the country. We played. It was the best of three sets. We played two sets. I got no points. Not a single point. Not a single point in two sets. I was just, it was utterly humiliating, you know, deeply. You know, you start off and you think, oh, he's quite good. And then you just, oh, this is just deeply embarrassing. He quickly worked out my flaws, my weaknesses, and punished them mercilessly. And he just he destroyed me. I had grossly overestimated how good I was and underestimated his brilliance. And now, the issue there, for, it was humiliation, was all it was, really. It was nothing worse than that. Now, to get that wrong with God, that's not just humi humiliation. That'll be the worst mistake we could possibly make. To underestimate his moral purity, his glorious holiness, to underestimate that, and to overestimate our worth, how good our performance is, that's, that's the worst possible mistake any of us could ever make in our lives. To come before the Lord and say, look at me, morally, pretty good, hey? No. No, we are far worse than we realize, and he is far greater than we often reflect upon. That's a dreadful mistake to make. Which means that, actually, we deserve the curse for breaking his law. That's Paul's point. It's the, whole, the Bible screams that point out to us. We fall so far short of him. And there's a punishment for rejecting him, for mocking him. Verse 12 puts it in slightly different language. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things, the law, will live by them. Oh, that sounds promising, but no one does. You can't live that way. So relying on law observance, that'll only bring curse. So what do we rely on? Well, really, verses 13 and 14 spell it out. You, can't you, cannot rely on f you cannot rely on law observance. You can't rely on your own performance. But you can rely upon that of Jesus Christ. You can build your life on him. So verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. See, here we have, I mean, it's just a... Th just a small part of his argument here, but it is, of course, just the, the heart of the Christian faith that we you know, could spend weeks, we could spend years and years just on this one verse. Uh, but in essence, he's saying that there's an exchange here. You see that we deserve curse. Jesus Christ is the only man who's ever deserved blessing. He takes curse. We get his blessing. That's what happens upon the cross. We're naked. He's clothed. He gets clothed. He is stripped naked and bare before God. It's just that's what happens. It's just an exchange. It's as simple as that. That's what takes place. He took the curse of Deuteronomy 28, the pain, the suffering, the exclusion unto death. He took all that for us so that we might have blessing. 
But the language here is, is as strong as it gets in the New Testament. Because, verse 13, he became a curse. That's very striking. I mean, it's easy to miss, but that is very striking. Not that Jesus, when he dies upon the cross, not that he becomes evil. He doesn't become cruel and selfish and self-absorbed. He doesn't become those things. But he is treated in that way. He is treated as the sinner. He is treated as the one who is selfish and rebellious against the Lord. He becomes curse. But do you see the flip side? That means that we become blessing. God treats us with the full status of his son, with the full perfection of Jesus Christ. We become blessing. That's how we're treated. And that never changes. That never changes. Okay, so what? So everything, really. (laughs) Now, level one, sort of most basic level. To be right with God, don't rely on your own performance. Rely upon the promise in Jesus Christ. Trust in me and... You, you're, you're, you receive the blessing. That doesn't go, that doesn't change from day to day. Build your life upon the promise of justification in Jesus Christ. Build your life upon that. That's the way of salvation. That's the way to continue living the Christian life. And day by day, for those of us who are Christians, that is the way to growth in the Christian life. That is the way to maturity by faith in Christ, by hearing with faith, not by our own performance. Let me give one illustration and then um, as many examples as we've got time for. (laughs) Illustration. Imagine a young woman then, uh, a young woman who leaves university and um, she's got no great prospects ahead of her. She hasn't worked very hard apart from one thing. She has an incredibly successful father who uh, runs a a blue-chip company and uh, brings her onto the board, age 21. She is woefully underqualified. She has no right to be there whatsoever. But she gets a position straight on the board with a phenomenal salary and perks associated to it. She gets her own jets to fly around the world, all sorts of things. There's no way she should be on this board, but her father puts her there on the board. Now, how does it go from there? Well, three little ways it could go. The first would be, uh, she just takes it for granted. Now, if you haven't got this, this is a picture of the Christian life. God says, I have made you my son. You deserve condemnation. You deserve curse. But if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are saved, you are blessing. Okay, you're in. You're a child, you're in. Okay. Now, how does it go from there? Well, three ways it could go. Let's do it this way. The first would be the Galatian way, which essentially would be in the illustration, okay, my girl, uh, I've put you here on the board. It's over to you. Over to you. It's all up to you now. Now you've got to justify your place here. Well, that would be deeply embarrassing. You know, the first board meeting, um, she puts her hand up and says, "Um, what what are stocks? Um, 
what is product? What do we make? Um, you know, it'd be just deeply embarrassing. And, you know, if it was down to her, she'd be thrown off straight away. Now, that's, that, in essence, is the issue of the book. It's not that you're brought into the Christian life by faith, but then you continue on in your own strength, on your own performance. Okay, so it's not that. That's a sort of Galatian mistake. Second mistake you might call cheap grace. So there she is on the board, and uh, she thinks, well, hey, I'm in, I'm in, and my father's the boss, so all is well, and uh, so never bothers going to any of these meetings at all, just flies around the world endlessly on her Learjet, um, drinking the champagne in the, in the, whatever, the posh part of the plane, and it never turns up, and uh, is shocked when she finally gets around to opening some of her posts to find she's been thrown off the board. What do you mean? What? What do you mean? What? Well, hold on a minute. This, this privilege has not made any difference to your life at all. It's not made any difference to your life at all. So I'm afraid you're off. That would be the way some people, I guess, respond in the Christian life. Okay, Jesus has died for me. I'm in. Great. Can I just get on with my life now? Oh, and I know I've got that in my back pocket somewhere, but that's... Get on with. It's not that. That would also be a mistake. But, biblical answer. It's a bit like this. Girl then is put on the board by her father, who says to her, I will sit next to you in every meeting. I'll have my arm around you in every meeting. And everyone will know you're mine. And you'll be treated with respect because you're mine. You will never lose your place on the board. Oh, and over time, I'll just keep, I'll teach you. I'll train you. I'll inform you. So you can make the odd intelligent comment. You, you can justify your place that over, over time, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll train you. But it, the important thing is, you're mine. I'm with you. No one will ever throw you off. See, the third then, that, that is a true biblical position. It is the relationship which cannot be broken. It is not her own effort. It is trusting in the promise of her father. And that's the issue here. Trusting in the promises of God. Hearing with faith. Not relying upon our own performance. Okay, let's uh, try some examples. Practically, what does that mean? Let's say the one that the book uh, threw, threw up in chapter 2, pride. Pride. Okay, I'm proud. How do I change? What, what, practically, how does that work? Um, well, you could try it this way. Or you could go to someone else. Someone else you think is really proud. You could go up to them and say, I think you're really proud. Can you stop that, please? Now, how does that go normally? That, I mean, that generally doesn't go so well, does it? Um, because that's sort of just, if they're a proud person, they'll just react and say, how dare you say such a thing? Or with yourself. You wake up, you know, actually, no, I think I'm, I've been feeling a bit proud about myself and how life is going. Tomorrow I'm just going to stop that. Tomorrow morning at nine I'll stop. It just doesn't, doesn't work. So you can't apply a law to your pride. Pride, stop it. You can't do that. There's no law. There's no thou shalt, thou shalt not be proud. doesn't do it. It just doesn't work. What's the answer? The answer is the hearing of faith. So we get this example in chapter 2. Um, do you remember this? Paul comes along to Peter and says, Peter, you're behaving like a racist. You're, you, as a Jew, refuse to eat with the, uh, the Gentiles. That's just pride. You're saying you're better than them. Racism, pride. I mean, it's just a manifestation of, of, uh, of the greater sin, pride. He doesn't say to him, stop it. Just stop being proud, will you? 
doesn't just say, he says, you need to stop that because you haven't understood the gospel. You haven't understood that. You as a Jew and someone who's a Gentile, before God, you're both, you both deserve curse. No one better than the other. But both of you have trusted in the promise of God. You have an equal status. You need to repent, Peter, of your attempts to justify yourself, put yourself on a pedestal better than someone else, and hear with faith the gospel. Drive the gospel deeper into your heart. So you, you see that. You see your wretchedness is the same as his, and your justification is the same as his. You just need the, you need the gospel in your heart, Peter, is what he says to him. It's no good applying a law. You need to understand who we are and what Christ has done, just more. The Christian life, it's the gospel from first to last. Let's try one more. Coveting. Coveting. You can think to yourself, you, know, you sit, here, sit, here, sit at home this afternoon thinking, you know what, I spend all my time longing to have more stuff more money, a more regular, a greater income on a regular basis, bigger house, bigger car, bigger kitchen, bigger oven, bigger, bigger, just bigger. I want bigger. I want more, more and bigger is what I want uh, of good things, not just McDonald's. Uh, I want more and bigger. I cover, cover, cover. I want a greater salary. Now, okay, that's not good, is it? It's not good. What shall I do? I'll just stop. I'll stop. Tomorrow I'll stop coveting things. Well, it doesn't work that way, does it? So you, you wake up tomorrow morning and write on a, the top of a piece, you write it on the, you write it, you, you're determined, so you write it on your tablecloth at home, I will not cover it from the 1st of November 2010. You can't just apply a law to your heart. You can't, it just doesn't work. So how do you make progress? By faith. You hear with faith. So you go back to the gospel and say, what is, what is my greatest need? My greatest need is for forgiveness. My greatest need is for someone to take the curse for me so that I might have blessing. If I accumulate all the money in the world, will it do that? No, it won't. I've got to repent of that. That's just a really stupid attitude. It doesn't work. Actually, Jesus Christ does that. He does that for me. He may not credit £10 million to my bank account, but he will credit me with righteousness, which is the thing I need more than anything else. We need to drive that in. It's, it, you see, all it is is faith in the work of Jesus Christ, again, more deeply, applied to every single area of life. We will more next time, probably. But you see, any issue, any issue, it's the same. Here with faith. Jesus Christ needs to become more real, more vivid, more essential, more obviously in our hearts what we know in our heads we need. We need to hear with faith. Not just apply laws to ourselves. Okay, so listen, dear idiots, and I count myself in this, this is poor language, Paul is talking to all of us, dear idiots, don't do that. Don't think you can just apply laws to yourself and your change. Don't do that. Hear with faith. Apply the gospel to your hearts. That's the way. That's the way you make progress. We all lean one way. But put your faith in Jesus Christ. Hear with faith what he has done for you. Hear it 
louder and louder and louder until you see it before your very eyes. You see Jesus Christ crucified as the thing that's your greatest need. So it's, it's the answer to your greatest need as your greatest treasure. Here with faith, that's how we move on. That's how we make progress in the Christian life. Not by just applying laws. Let's pray together. Our, our loving Father, you know our hearts. You know that uh, when we wake up each morning, our natural setting is to think about our performance, what we've done, what we'll achieve, rather than in resting in what Jesus Christ has done, that we have what we need in him. Father, would we hear the gospel with faith and apply it to each and every area of our lives, we pray. Amen.